Hey, it's Alexis Asadi, and welcome to episode number four of Income Investing, a show that explores different investments that produce income and or dividends. Today's discussion will once again revolve around real estate investment trusts, or REITs. We're going to cover how they're being impacted by the baby boomer generation. If you don't mind, please take a quick moment to tap the subscribe button. Once you do, you'll start getting notifications whenever I release a new show, which is every Wednesday morning. I'll try to publish them as early as possible because I know that a lot of people tune in on their commute to work. If this is your first time joining us, I appreciate you being here. The Income Investing Podcast is dedicated exclusively to finding and analyzing investments that pay dividends, preferably monthly, but sometimes on a quarterly basis too. So investing for income can have some great benefits. First, you can use the income to pay for some of your real-life expenses. If your portfolio is pumping out $500 a month of cash flow, well, that can go a long way for a lot of people. Many eventually reach a point where their investment income is higher than their cost of living, and this is a state known as financial freedom. Second, there are lots of income investments that can go up in price. You're not just restricted to earning revenue. For example, a lot of real estate investment trusts trade on the stock market, so you can buy them low, earn income while you hold, and sell for a capital gain. Third, income investments can exist across all markets, whether in real estate, financial services, utilities, energy, natural resources, or otherwise. As such, it's pretty easy to build a diverse portfolio that also produces consistent cash flow. And fourth, but definitely not finally, lots of them can be purchased for under a few hundred dollars. So income investing can be an affordable way to create wealth. Now, we've spent the last couple of weeks talking about a type of company called a real estate investment trust, or REIT. It's especially popular in the US and Canada, but it's also growing across Asia, Australia, Latin America, and Africa. I actually read earlier on today that there are currently about 70 REITs that are trading in Australia. So we established that a REIT is a company that invests in a portfolio of income properties, usually assets like apartment buildings, shopping malls, retail outlets, and so on. REITs can be a good way to participate in real estate for as little as $100. Many have been a good source of reliable dividend payments and cash distributions. And for that reason, they are a staple for many income investors. We then explored how e-commerce and the internet in general has shaped modern real estate, and how that in turn has affected REITs. We talked about how companies like Amazon, Alibaba, Walmart, and Google are consuming massive amounts of warehouses and storage space because of the internet, which has boosted the performance of industrial REITs. They in fact posted the top returns of 2017 when compared to other REITs. We also saw that e-commerce has been detrimental to some commercial real estate, like offices and retail properties. So even though we're still early into the Income Investing Podcast series, by now it should be clear that real estate is an asset just like any other. Its value is a function of supply and demand. If more people or businesses want to use it, then it's going to increase in price. But if its utility declines, then so will its value. A lot of investors mistakenly place real estate on a pedestal and believe that it always appreciates over the long term, no matter what. They see it as a hard asset with intrinsic value that inevitably must go up. But the last two episodes have demonstrated that different kinds of properties will react to different market conditions. 
For instance, we saw that residential rental properties are seen as counter-cyclical. They tend to do better when the economy is weaker. Commercial assets, on the other hand, usually thrive when markets are strong, but they can plummet if the demand for them decreases. Indeed, it's quite possible to lose money in real estate even over the long term. So today we're going to look at a trend that has been in the making for decades. It will affect all investors and all investments if it isn't already. Some assets are poised to thrive because of it, while others will be negatively impacted by it. One of the many ways that you can capitalize on the upside of this trend is through REITs. So I'm going to spend the next few minutes unpacking it, and then we're going to go through how the trend ties into real estate. But before we do that, let's get to a question from one of our listeners. If you've got something that you'd like me to address on our show, you can always let me know at alexisasadi.net slash podcast. So our question for this episode comes from Andrew, who's in Decatur, Georgia. He recognizes that real estate can fluctuate in value, but he wanted to know if it's realistic to experience a total capital loss when investing in a REIT because they're ultimately backed by real estate, and that can always be sold. So he wants to know, at the end of the day, could you realistically lose your entire investment? Andrew, this is a really good question, because you're right, there is a real hard asset involved. As a rule of thumb, you should always assume that you can lose all of your money in most investments. There is rarely such a thing as a rock-solid guarantee. Now, in theory, you could experience a total capital loss with a REIT. If its properties become worth less than its debts, and it defaults in its mortgage payments, and the bank starts calling loans in, then yes, it could run into a lot of trouble. But in practice, I've only ever heard of one REIT that went completely bust. It was a Canadian company called League REIT, and it was privately held. It wasn't public. I actually have a friend who was involved in the bankruptcy proceedings for League, and he told me that investors got something back like 10% of their money. I don't know if that was over and above any income that they might have received while the REIT was healthy, but even in that case, which was pretty extreme, investors didn't literally lose everything. But as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, one of the main risks of real estate in general is that there's usually a lot of debt because of the mortgages. So that, by extension, is a risk of REITs. And I think every real estate and REIT investor should take that into consideration. Okay, so let's get to today's discussion. You've probably heard of the term baby boomers. These are people who were born between the 1940s and the mid-1960s. Right now, the baby boomer generation is the wealthiest and, until 2016, the most populous in history. It comprises about 25% of all people in both the US and Canada. Baby boomers are also defined by various experiences and cultural phenomena, like the Vietnam War, the Cuban Missile Crisis, the Beatles, Woodstock, and even the Brady Bunch. But for the purposes of this show, we're just going to focus on population. So how did all of this come to be? Why are there so many of them? Well, the spike in population growth probably occurred because two sub-generations of people had children during the same period of time during the mid-20th century. Older North Americans postponed childbirth until after World War II. They sought to avoid the hardships of both the war and the preceding Great Depression. Many, of course, also fought in the war and were thus less able to have children. But when they eventually did have kids, they did so at the same time as younger North Americans who had no reason to delay. The war was over, prosperity began to ensue, and thus the birth rate escalated. Marriage rates increased too, as did family sizes. In 1950, the average woman had 3.09 children, but by 1957, 
women were having on average 3.77 children. In fact, more children were born in the seven years following 1948 than in the prior three decades. The baby boomers went on to undertake monumental advances in business, science, and medicine, and they made progress for society in general. But simultaneously, they ravaged the planet's resources and greatly damaged the environment in their quest for growth. In many cases, they can be defined by a single word, and that word is big. Big population, big achievements, and big destruction. However, World War II ended in 1945. That's almost 80 years ago. The young adults of yesteryear are now retiring in droves. In fact, about 10,000 people turn 65 years old each day in the United States. By the year 2030, about 20% of all people in North America will be senior citizens. This colossal demographic transition will have implications for the government, its people, and their businesses. The vast number of aging Americans and Canadians will place significant pressure on their respective healthcare systems. According to the National Council of Aging, around 80% of elderly folk have one chronic disease, while 77% have two or more. In 2010, the estimated lifetime Medicare expenditure for an American 65-year-old was $131,000. But by 2030, that figure will likely increase to over $220,000. Overall Medicare spending will go from half a trillion dollars to $1.2 trillion. But that same pressure is likely to translate into more business for the private sector. It's highly probable that a growing portion of the economy will cater to the elderly. Companies that sell pharmaceuticals and medical devices, hospital supplies, retirement services, and even insurance all stand to gain handsomely. And there's plenty of room for REITs to participate in this demographic shift. Many of these REITs operate properties that collect rent from healthcare industry tenants. These can include hospitals, medical office buildings, life science businesses, memory care and post-acute facilities, and nursing homes. Unless a medical revolution takes place, it seems inevitable that the number of patients and customers will expand dramatically. And that can mean that healthcare landlords will increase their rents and property prices should rise. But in the immediate term, there's a bit too much inventory on the market, so that's pushing prices down. There's currently a glut of healthcare facilities, which has caused a tenant shortage. Low interest rates and anticipation for the future has resulted in too many properties for today's market, and that's restraining growth for healthcare real estate. In fact, these kinds of REITs were the lowest performers for much of 2017. Another concern, at least in the US, is legislative uncertainty. The introduction of the Affordable Care Act, aka Obamacare, by the Democrats in 2010, transferred a lot of the financial burden from the people to the healthcare providers. And this increased costs for many companies in the sector. In the following years, the Republicans tried more than 70 times to repeal that law. So there's a major struggle between the political left and the political right in the US. It's quite polarized. Millions of people want the federal government to fund healthcare completely, similar to how it's done in Canada and countries in Western Europe. But millions of others want the government removed from healthcare altogether. And still, millions of others like government programs like Medicaid, but they would like to draw the line there. So as long as Congress remains divided, it's unclear what will happen to healthcare legislation. As such, it can be difficult to run a medical real estate business in a landscape that might change substantially. 
However, most agree that many of the short-term challenges to healthcare REITs will probably be overcome by the power of demographics. Little can change the fact that tens of millions of people are entering their golden years. And as we age, we get sicker and therefore require more medical attention. As well, if REITs in this space aren't top performers today, but we think they will be in the future, does that mean that investors can buy in at a discount now? Another phenomenon that's expected to occur has been dubbed as the great senior sell-off. As people age, they will likely want to downsize from large homes with staircases to smaller properties or to assisted living facilities. In fact, the vast range of senior living options has caused people to use them at a younger age than before. The most rapid growth in this sector is among those in their 70s. This should bode well for REITs that own senior living and elderly care properties. As with healthcare REITs, it appears that their customer base will only become larger. Further, they don't have the same glut as medical real estate. But as dramatic as the senior sell-off sounds, it probably won't all happen at once. The millennial generation has a substantially different taste in real estate, with many preferring to live in cities rather than in the suburbs. According to Arthur C. Nelson, a professor at the University of Arizona, about a quarter of them prefer to live in condominiums and townhouses rather than in detached suburban homes. As well, millennials are much less wealthy and may not be able to pay what the baby boomers are asking for. Americans alone owe over $1.3 trillion in student debt, and 60% of millennials in the U.S. have under $1,000 saved. So this doesn't give them a lot of room to buy homes. Therefore, the older generation is likely to live in their homes for longer, and any kind of sell-off should be gradual. In fact, baby boomers have so far been holding on to their properties, refusing to sell them. And that's partially why housing prices in cities across North America are so high. Many REITs have positioned themselves to capitalize on both healthcare and senior living residences. They've chosen to gain broader exposure to the baby boomer demographic rather than isolating one or the other. As such, you can participate in the potential profits with a plethora of choices, including Senior Housing Trust, HCP, Ventas, Care Trust, LTC Properties, Welltower, Chartwell Retirement Residences, Northwest Healthcare Properties, Sabre Healthcare, and Physicians Realty Trust. These are all REITs that are available today. Now, many analysts don't just have a sunny outlook for this category of REIT. Since the number of people using senior living and healthcare properties should increase annually, they also think it will be reflected in consistently higher rent prices, and that can translate into escalating income payments to investors. Today, it seems as though real estate in North America is on the verge of a massive change. It hasn't quite happened yet, but all signs point towards a greater demand for senior living and healthcare properties. Further, if interest rates continue to rise, it could limit the amount of new construction and thus hamper the amount of supply, thus pushing up prices. But as always, even if REITs in this space are tantalizing, it's important to research them on an individual basis. Just because the demographics look good does not guarantee that all companies will perform well. Next week, I'm going to explore a type of REIT that can capitalize on another demographic that we briefly touched on today, the millennials. This generation is nothing like its parents, both financially and in terms of its mindset about real estate, and they too will be a force for change in the coming years. In the meantime, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast. As well, you can go to my website, alexisasadi.net, and subscribe to my free weekly emails if you want to hear more from me. 
I'm pretty respectful of people's inboxes, so I won't clutter you with spam and sales pitches. Pretty much all of what I send is content in the form of articles, videos, and podcasts. Once you subscribe, you'll also get my email address, so you can feel free to message me and suggest whatever topics you want for discussion. I'm actually in England right now, but I've got access to my email, so I should be able to get back to you pretty quickly. Thanks for spending your time with me, and I'll see you next Wednesday.